by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, short-timer Vicar Albert Bader. We are uh, privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together and we look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday worship. We spend a little time seeing what God's Word says to us and for us. Prepare to hear these words in the divine service. Uh, Also a little help for pastors and preachers to proclaim the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you and for the life of the world. We do this according to the one-year series, the one-year readings in Lutheran Service Book. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Moline, welcome back from vacation. Thank you. Good to be back. Did you kill a bear? Um, You know, in North Carolina on the beach, there was not a lot of bears, and they weren't in season. So, (laughs) Well, since you weren't successful in Montana or Wyoming or Colorado or Canada, wherever the heck you went before. I, uh, I do think I am still one bear ahead of you in the number that I have hunted in successfully. Burn, burn, burn. And uh, Vicar, how's the uh, Vicar Bader farewell tour going? Uh, you've, been, uh, you've been out and about, and uh, I, I understood that you uh, recently uh, wowed the saints at uh, Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Eagle. So uh, what, what do you think about this uh, have sermon, will travel thing? Yeah, uh, well, I don't know about the wow the people, but no, it was a great opportunity to go out and uh, spend time at a different congregation for a little bit, a congregation that's been helping me out through seminary and kind of put a name to a face or a face to a name type of situation. So it was a great joy. Name to a face, face to a name, however you want to say it. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, it is... uh, uh, it's different when you're not here on Sunday, but uh, we'll get used to it. <laughs> there you go. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, the uh, last Sunday in July, we have uh, Vickers last Sunday here. That uh, evening, starting at 5 o'clock, we have the uh, uh, farewell slash potluck slash roast for Vicar Bader. And uh, you're all invited and in uh, in honor of the things that uh, that happened way 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 back uh, in 1994, uh, I think that's 25 years ago now, right? Yes, it is. Um, in 1994, we are going to have the country western theme for our country western vicar, and also you've probably seen some of the wanted posters around church, but. Um, 
we are going to have the trial of the century. I hope it's like the uh, the one with um, John Wayne in uh, where he's Rooster Cogburn. What is that? Yeah, True Grit. True Grit. Yeah, no, it's it's more like the uh, Clint Eastwood movie where uh, uh, Clint Eastwood uh, is in the Hang 'em High kind of thing. Uh, that we we have that judge. Good deal. We have that judge coming. So um, I don't know if it's actually Roy Bean or not, but uh, it will be a hanging judge. So uh, uh, if if you could only see the look on Vicker's face right now, you would uh, you would realize that he's um, nervous, eagerly anticipating, completely clueless. I need to watch that. Yeah, well, you've been we're talking about. You've been completely clueless all year. So well, there you go. Um, but uh, for the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, we have uh, in our introit a portion of Psalm 27. Vicar, take it away. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Okay, there we have some... uh... Very familiar words from Psalm 27. A lot of hymns and uh, spiritual songs have been written based on these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Uh, we got three things going on there, Pastor. Light, salvation, and fear. Pick, pick, uh, pick those three in whatever order you want to address them. What's happening here? Well, um, we're, we're describing who God is with the first two. He is the light, uh, which uh, reminds us of uh, the light shining in the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome from John's gospel, uh, the idea that um, uh, darkness is just absent of light, and in this world, because of sin, we're in the darkness, but the Lord comes and brings his light so that all may be revealed. Uh, and the reason that uh, all things are revealed, I know that's a little frightening to think about, that all your sin is known by God, uh, but it's good news when God knows your sin and sees your sin, uh, because he's also your salvation, and that means when he sees uh, what he's doing, he can take care of your problem. I think we've talked about on this show before, a uh, surgeon, when you have surgery, they get all sorts of lights so that the surgeon can see what he's doing and cutting out the cancer or drilling out the cavity. Uh, My kids, when they go to the dentist, they even have to wear uh, sunglasses because uh, that way the um, dentist doesn't shine a light in their eyes too bright. Um, and, And so... God is the light. He's the salvation. He takes care of sin uh, by bleeding and dying in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that all sin may be forgiven uh, and rising from the dead so that we also might have the hope of eternal life. And so knowing that these are the things God has done for us, that question, whom shall we fear, uh, is an important one. One of the uh, Bach shows I'm working on for, uh, I think it's Trinity 9, uh, deals with this as well. It's the... um, uh, question what is the world to me 
if God has done all these things for me, why do I love my stuff? If God has done all these things for me, why am I worried about what tomorrow will bring? If God has promised me eternal life, why do I care about the uh, challenges and struggles that arise uh, when I know they have been overcome and defeated by the things God has done? Okay, uh, Vicar, I want to ask you about a word from that first line as well. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What do those personal pronouns teach us with regard to everything that Pastor Moline just said? That this is our faith. The Lord is our light, that he shines upon our sin and reveals to us our salvation. It's something that God has worked in us, and uh, we don't talk this way as Lutherans very often, but it is our personal faith that God has worked in us by the power of the word. Yes, it is, and I'm I'm hearing somebody's heavy breathing in the background, and I'm not sure I'm not sure uh, you know so if you're hearing this on the radio program, folks. I'm trying desperately to figure out how to get it out, but uh, uh, I am a rookie with the uh, control panel here, so bear don't with look me. At me. <laughs> bear with me. I don't I don't think that I'm out of breath, but uh, I think we have Darth Vader that just came back from North Carolina. Okay. Uh, we are talking about a personal salvation. This is this is not some generic spiritual truth that is out there. It is ours by grace, through faith, on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. This uh, The next line then continues on with this theme, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Pastor, uh, stronghold of my life what what word picture is that uh for us and to teach us well a stronghold would be a fort or a a defensible position in the eyes of the uh, ancients uh something with thick walls that uh, nobody could get into with the technology at the time that they had this before airplanes and and bombs, of course. Uh, and so it's the place that you hide, the place where you find your refuge. And so the psalmist is saying that that is God. God is the place where he hides and is kept safe and is uh, uh, finding refuge in. And and I think that's always a neat picture because uh, when there is a battle or a war uh, and you're holed up in a stronghold, what is it that takes the beating? It's the stronghold or the fortress or those things. The walls get battered and bruised and you're kept safe inside. And so we have that picture uh, for telling us about Jesus Christ in that regard, that he's the one who's going to take the beating so that we can be kept safe. Yeah, that is an excellent word picture. And I know some of our hearers have have been to forts, whether it was a Civil War fort or a Revolutionary War fort or uh, even a fort out on the prairie during the uh, American Indian Wars or whatever. And you can see the spots where the, where the arrows or the bullets or the cannonballs or whatever have hit and penetrated, and they took the hit and kept the people safe inside. And I think that is a, a great word picture. Uh, in the next line it says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh... My adversaries and my foes. So the evildoers are my adversaries and my foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Now, oftentimes, Vicar, we talk about a theme of a great reversal in Scripture. But we're usually talking about the great reversal on how Jesus is the one who takes the punishment for my sin. How is that line a great reversal 
in a different way. Well, it says that my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes our adversaries and foes seem to win the victory. Uh, sometimes they get the better hand of us. This happened throughout Israel's lifetime. Uh, the people of Israel would sin and be handed over to their enemies, and it seems like they were triumphant. But really, it is they who stumble and fall because it is they who have no faith. They don't have faith in God to provide for them by forgiving their sins and granting them eternal life. And so the great reversal here is no matter how powerful and uh, ferocious your adversaries and foes may seem to be, they're going to stumble and fall because they are those who do not have faith in the one true God. And therefore, they can really do nothing to be victorious over you because God is there fighting for you. I'm reminded of that verse in the uh, Easter hymn, the CFW Walther hymn, He's Risen, He's Risen. The foe was triumphant when on Calvary the Lord of creation was nailed to the tree. In Satan's domain did the host shout and jeer, for Jesus was slain, whom the evil ones fear. Uh, at the end of verse 2, Satan has won. And then at the beginning of verse 3, but short was their triumph, the Savior arose. And uh, don't ever end, Vicar, on verse, <laughs> on two, verse 2 on Easter Sunday, no matter how long the service is going. We have this overarching theme now that God is at work. God is at work uh, to take away our fear. God is at work to give us the victory. God is at work to take the hit. God is at work for us and for our salvation. One thing I ask of the Lord, this I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Pastor, in the time that we have left, dwelling in the house of the Lord, what are we talking about here? Well, it does tie all these things together because uh, the house of the Lord is discussion first off about the temple that was in Jerusalem. And uh, the temple that was in Jerusalem was a well-fortified place. It was on a hilltop with steep ravines on all the sides except for the north side. And on the north they had a, uh, several fortresses and things like that. And so it is the uh, stronghold, the defensible position uh, that is kind of talked about before. And then we find out it's also the place where God dwells. Uh, so that uh, then is carried on for us in the fact that we one day hope to be where Christ is, uh, not in the uh, this world where it is a position that needs defending, but rather in a, a new world where there is no sin, death, or the power of the devil. And so there's no need even to uh, be feared of attack because we know we're safe forever when we're with Christ in that place. Well said, and we need to take a break. We're running a little long on this segment. When we come back, we're going to look at the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, Luke 6, 36 to 42, compassion and generosity from God to us. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Wow, what a beautiful hymn and what a wonderful way to come back to our uh, from our break. You've got uh, you've got that look on your face, Pastor. Do you want to make a comment? No, I just I uh, I switched mics so you couldn't hear me breathing, but that also means then that I can't hear the hymn. So I'll just take your word that it was beautiful. Oh <laughs> golly, F- Father Most Holy, Merciful and Mighty. Yes, it was a beautiful hymn. Trust us. So uh, yeah, you you have a new mic, but now you don't have a headset. So. Um, I, it's a comedy of errors here, and uh, things would have been much better if you would have just shot a bear in North Carolina, and we wouldn't have to worry about any of that stuff. Vicar, Luke 6, 36 to 42. You want to share those words with us, please? Jesus said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Okay, here's one of those that it's hard when you're done reading that to say this is the gospel of the Lord because, um, holy hootman, this is some pretty hard-hitting law that we have here in Luke chapter 6. First of all, Jesus said, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will uh, be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. We have all of these imperatives. And um, earlier uh, this morning in our uh, Tuesday morning men's Bible study, we were talking about a proper distinction between law and gospel. So I'm going to start with you, Vicar. Be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give. Um, So if we just do all these things, we'll be in heaven, right? Well, if we did them completely, perfectly, and without sin, then yes. But unfortunately, that will not be our case. We are born and conceived sinful, as the Scriptures teach. And therefore, no matter how hard we try to be merciful, how hard we try not to judge, condemn, how hard we try to forgive when others sin against us and give with a generous heart, we will never do that perfectly. Therefore, if we are in charge of doing these verbs in order to get ourselves into heaven, we will never make it. And we can never have certainty that we will be in paradise because we know we haven't kept any of these things perfectly. So then, why is God giving us these directives, Pastor? Uh, I think a lot of times people think that uh, religion in general and Christianity specifically is a set of rules and regulations, a list of things, uh, maybe even a method 
to accomplish. And then we come into Scripture and we have these lists of things to do. So how does this fit in to what God has called us to in Christ Jesus? There are distinctions that have to be made. Uh, the, The first distinction is to know that we are never, ever saved by our works. We're only saved by Jesus Christ, and the Scripture clearly teaches that, and so we have to believe that because it's what Scripture teaches. We do have these lists of rules and laws and regulations then, and we see these then as uh, third use of the law, uh, at least in in regards to us as Christians. And what that means is that this is our identity as Christians. Because we have been saved by what Jesus has done, this is the way then that we are going to live, try to live um, the things we're going to do as Christians. And so that's third use of the law. Um, Because Christ has died for me and all my sins, I'm not going to murder someone uh, because that's something that Jesus paid for with blood. And uh, I'm not going to take that work that he's done for granted. It'd be like um, if my kids threw a baseball through my window because they were playing baseball in the living room, and I got home and I saw what had happened and forgave them, replaced the window, them continuing to play baseball in the living room that that day, the next day, the next day, over and over again, and through dozens of windows, and not actually living a life according to what mom and dad say. And that's what we do as Christians. We ought to do what God says in these words. So here in uh, in John or in Luke six we have I had John six on my brain after this morning. Here in Luke six we have uh, uh, these directives, and for the Christian, God is telling us how the Christian should live, what the Christian life looks like. Right. When we have these words here, be merciful even as your father is merciful. And if I remember right, uh, the Greek there, the even as means uh, exactly as your father is merciful. Uh, Vicar, how is that second use of the law, that mirror which shows us our sin? Uh, Because when we look upon our lives and our actions that we have done, we know that we haven't been merciful. Um, what well, what does it mean, merciful? Uh, help me out there. Well, to show mercy on somebody would be um, kind of like what Pastor Moline said earlier, um, that somebody has sinned against you and you forgive them, no matter how grievous of a sin it might have been. And when we don't show mercy, that is when people sin against us and they come and say, I'm sorry that I've done this to you, please forgive me, you say no. I'm going to hold my anger over you. I'm going to kind of stick it as a card in my back pocket so that the next time I do something wrong against you, maybe I can use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card and say, well, look here, this is what you've done to me in the past, therefore I can justify myself to do this to you now. To uh, be merciful is to not give someone what they deserve to be gracious is to give someone that which they don't deserve god is both gracious and merciful to us not giving us what we deserve hell giving us what we don't deserve jesus forgiveness heaven and uh Jesus is speaking pretty bluntly, not only to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes and, you know, the multitudes. He's talking to us um, that God demands this kind of perfection 
from us. And he doesn't stop with that word mercy. He goes on, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Pastor, when you lump all of those things together, be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give, um, I'm left feeling pretty miserable because I'm not doing any of these very well, and some of them I'm not doing at all. What's what's Jesus getting at? Is he just trying to uh, kill my self-esteem? Well, Jesus doesn't care about self-esteem, to be quite frank. Um, Jesus cares about your salvation. So why is Jesus saying all these things? Uh, first off, um, to show your sin, so that you might repent uh, when you feel bad about it, so that you might turn from your sinful ways and believe uh, where your salvation is truly found, not in your ability to keep or not keep uh, what these laws say, but rather your salvation is found in him. And so by teaching these things, first off, Christ is driving you to himself uh, because you know that on your own you're unable to do what the law demands and you need someone to do it for you. That's Christ. And then um, after that, it also is teaching you because Christ has done everything necessary for your salvation, here's how you're going to live. And um, because Jesus died for your sins and because you belong to him, you automatically start to do these things uh, even without even without being told to do them. It's, it's helpful to know what the law says, but you start to do these things um, because you're a Christian and you still fail. You still fall short and need to be reminded of them over and over again, uh, as well as the forgiveness of sins in Christ. But your identity now as a Christian is someone who does these things you do unto others as you wish to have them do unto you uh, because Christ has done unto you what you did not deserve. Um, he has earned for you salvation. When we uh, when we talk about the proper distinction between law and gospel, and uh, Vicar, you, you talked to earlier today at one of our Bible studies about uh, the importance of the verbs and who's doing what. Uh, if we are doing the verbs, that can't be gospel. That has to be some kind of law. And if, if it is gospel, then God is the one who is doing the verbs. In our world today, we have many people who have a warped understanding of the gospel. They uh, seriously conflate or mix up the law and the gospel and christianity in general or the gospel specifically is nothing more than you can't judge me judge not and they point to this particular bible passage and they'll say even jesus says you can't judge me so how do we address that kind of an attitude in light of jesus words here today I would say they are completely correct. I cannot judge anyone. However, I can speak that word of God, that word of law that does judge, and I'm not the one doing it. It is God judging the sin. And so when you come to church, it is not a judgment-free zone. We will come here and we will confess publicly before God and one another that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. And some of those specific sins will probably even be drawn out in the sermon. And it'll make us feel not so good. It'll crush us. It'll kill us. That is the judgment that we deserve. But thanks be to God that he 
has judged us, and he has judged us to be holy and perfect, just as his son is holy and perfect, because Jesus has taken our judgment upon himself. He has bled and died to pay for it. And so, they are right to say, I myself am not supposed to judge other people, but as as a Christian, I am called to speak God's word in his truth and purity, and God's word will judge the sinner concerning his sin. Yeah, I think, uh, and well said, I think in a, in a lot of respects, people are always looking for an excuse to excuse their behavior, and uh, you can't be the judge of me, I'll be the judge of me, and they use that as a license to sin, they use that as a license for every kind of evil or perversion in our world, and yet God's word is clear. God is the one who does the judging. God is the one who sets the standards in his word. God is the one who sends Jesus to take the punishment upon us. And so when we skirt the judgment of God and the law that condemns, we basically are avoiding Jesus. Comments on that, Pastor? Well, I think it has to do then also with what we learned and talked about last week with uh, the prodigal son, um, that parable we always forget about the other son, the son who stayed home, and that's part of his thing. Um, God speaks a word about this son who's returned. You are forgiven and you are my son again, and we aren't in a position to disagree with what God's word says either direction. And so that's what we need to do in far as judging, say what God's word says. Let him do the speaking and the judging, and uh, that's what a pastor's job is then. Sometimes that means he has to tell you about your sin. And sometimes that means he needs to tell you about Christ and the forgiveness for that sin. Amen. Amen. God is merciful and mighty. We're going to continue our look at the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, Luke 6, 36 to 42. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. at noon on KNNA.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor, did you get a chance to hear that beautiful hymn that time around? I did. Very lovely. Very lovely. All right. Well, we got a headset on him now. So uh, by the time we get this program done, we'll have all the uh, technology working. Thanks for bearing with us today. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, we're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity. We'd love to have you worship with us at Good Shepherd each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in Between, Wednesday evening year-round at 630, and you can check us out uh, live at 95.7 LP here in uh, the Lincoln area, the website, uh, handheld device, www.thecross957.org. Check out our archives. Give us some feedback. Love to have you with us, and it's a joy to be able to work through God's Word with you. We were looking at the gospel reading from Luke six thirty six to 42. Pastor, um, it seems like Jesus spends a little extra time with the command with the encouragement with the directive to give and he says give and it will be given to you and then he goes on to say good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you now i think of People who maybe cheat with their uh, with their measures, um, you know, you have a, a bushel of uh, grain, and right smack dab in the middle of the bushel of grain, you have maybe a rock, uh, so you don't have to give as much grain, or so it gives a little more weight. I think of people who are being stingy. Uh, you know, here we have just the opposite of that: being honest, being generous, all these kind of things. Um, Help us out. What? Why is Jesus going into such great detail with the admonition to give? Well, giving is behind the idea of the gospel. It is giving that Jesus does for us first. And, and so when we are in Christ and doing the things Christ does, then we ought to give the same way he give. Well, how, how, how well did Christ give? He allowed himself to be taken away of all earthly possessions, stripped down naked, beaten, uh, bloodied, nailed to a cross, and even his life was given, all of that for the forgiveness of our sins. So how could we not also give uh, with abundance and mercy and love in the same way? And so when someone's in need, when someone... Um, uh, when someone is there that you need to help or visit or care for, we give because Christ has already given way more to us than we could ever possibly imagine to give. Uh, you know, the uh, Gospels also say no greater love is there than this, that one give up his life for his friends. Jesus has done that, and so we also ought to give. So can we make any applications to the stewardship life of a Christian with regard to uh, the generosity the attitude of giving, or is that forcing something on this text? Well, I think that's exact. I mean, that's one of the places we can take it here is to giving uh, stewardship. God has given you all that you need to support your body and life, clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that you have, uh, your body, your soul, your eyes, your all your members. All that stuff are gifts from God. 
And so how are you going to use those? And we have to make sure we understand we're talking about giving and stewardship. We're not only talking about church. You have neighbors that are in need, people that surround you uh, that need your compassion as well. Uh, you need, when we are talking about church, we talk about how is the pastor going to eat and pay for his housing and things like that. Uh, so you're giving to that neighbor in need, um, and pastors are not exempt from this either. And so how do you use the gifts God has given you for uh, love of God and service to neighbor is really the question of stewardship. And Jesus here is saying, be generous. Uh, shake it down so it settles and make sure you give them a full measure that's uh, heaped up on the top of the basket. Uh, Make sure that there's no uh, space fillers in there. It's kind of the opposite of maybe how they sell things now. We were just buying milk the other day and noticed that half-gallon boxes are no longer half gallons. They're now 1.8 quarts. (laughs) They look the same size, but they don't contain the same amount. Uh, Is that the way that your giving and stewardship with the gifts God has given you going to be as well? A little less than what you thought? Or or, uh, Christ says here, actually give more. God is not stingy with his gift of Jesus. God did not take any shortcuts or cheat us with regard to our salvation. And our response should flow in exactly the same way. And uh, then Jesus tells this little parable. It doesn't sound much like a parable. Um, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Vicar, what's going on here? Blind man, blind man. Uh, there there are some, some uh, pits on farms even today, and they're not very pleasant places. So... Um, Help us out. What's what's Jesus teaching us? Yeah, if uh, you're not able to see clearly, then you're not able to lead other people into the way of truth. So if you don't have a true faith, if you don't know what Jesus is talking about, how we live Christian lives, but we do that in service to our neighbor, not because we can save ourselves from it, we are saved solely by Jesus, then how is it that we are supposed to lead other people in the faith? Uh If we, as Christians, are the ones who refuse to be merciful, we refuse not to judge other people, despite whether or not that's based on God's word, we refuse not to condemn people, we refuse to forgive people, we refuse to give full measure to people, well then when others see us and see that supposedly Christian behavior, they're going to say, well that doesn't really seem like any good thing at all. So Jesus is saying, live out your faith, because then you will show that towards other people and will be able to lead them faithfully as well. And uh, it also follows that if we are following a blind one, uh, then we are going to end up in that stinky, slimy pit as well. Pastor, I want to I ask a little bit about this whole um, speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your eye. Um, let Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye. With regard to being merciful, judging not, condemning not, forgiving, giving, what speck am I worried about in my brother's eye? And what log am I not noticing in my eye? Put all this in context for us. Well, it all has to do with sin. And 
so many people are quick to point out the sin in the person next to them, but are unwilling to look in a mirror and see the sin in their own self. Isn't that um, my job, to tell everybody that they're a sinner? Well, in in some regards, because you're a pastor, oh, yes. Okay. But um, in in the same fashion, before you tell everybody else about their sin, you also realize that you yourself are a sinner, and that you are in. You know, this, the hymn is is right in this regard: "Chief of sinners though I be," right. And the next line is not. At least I know Vickers worse than yeah. me. A chief of <laughs> sinners though I be, Albert Bader's worse than me. Right. Yeah. It's it's not. Um, the reason you're chief of sinners is because you ought to be able to see your own sin so clearly that you know that uh, it's worse than anyone else's. And once we realize that log in our own eye and that we are too sinful, um, we also then are driven to Christ and the forgiveness that he earns for us. And so don't just judge other people. Also realize the truth about yourself, that you too are a guilty sinner in need of forgiveness. And Jesus is teaching us here how easy it is to deflect what's really going on. I always want to compare myself to other people because eventually I can find someone that's a bigger sinner, at least on the outside, a bigger sinner than me, somebody who is outwardly less merciful than me, someone who is outwardly more judgmental than I am, someone who is outwardly less giving and forgiving than me. And then I can feel really good about myself because, boy, at least I'm not as bad as him, or at least I'm not as bad as her. But that flies in the face of everything that Jesus is teaching us because we're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. Well, and uh, once you're doing that, you're self-justifying. It's the idea that uh, God's got bigger fish to fry than me, and so, of course, I'll be fine. You know, and that's not how God saves you. He doesn't pick the top half or the cream of the crop. All have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory, and all are freely justified by Jesus Christ and the work that he does on the cross. Vicar, what's a hypocrite? Jesus is uh, pretty condemning of hypocrites in uh, the last line of our gospel reading here what is a hypocrite well a hypocrite is not the bird horse from harry potter i don't know if you guys even know that reference but uh (laughs) no i'm not a harry potter guy sorry (laughs) so a hypocrite is um actor term in the greek a hypocrite is literally someone who changes their face like an actor in a play uh, can play multiple different people he simply has to change his costume and uh jesus is teaching us don't do that Don't say that you're a Christian. Don't say that you believe in the forgiveness of sins and that Jesus paid for your sins and you desire to live a good and holy life if you're going to go out through the world and live in complete and open rebellion against God and his word. uh, Don't play the hypocrite. If you're Christian, try to be Christian. Believe the things that God has told us and live according to them. In saying one thing but doing something completely the opposite, we expose the sin that is in us. And I've heard on more than one occasion, uh, I'm not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And my, There's always room for one more. My, my, oh, my thought, I don't always say it depending on the context, but my thought is there's room for one more of us, buddy. 
Uh, Pastor, final thoughts on that uh, gospel reading and uh, the term, uh, the whole hypocritical thing. Don't trust in your work. Trust in Christ. Admit your sin. Christ comes for sinners. Be a sinner so that he comes for you. Well said. Well said. We're going to cut this uh, section just a little bit short to make up for our first two that went over. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 50. What in the world are we going to do in Genesis 50 that has to do with the mercy and compassion of God? Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we looked at the introit, selected portions from Psalm 27. In our second and third segments, we looked at our gospel reading, Luke 6, 36 to 42, be merciful, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, give, All of these things uh, commands from God, and they flow from the faith that God has given us in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is not calling us to a hypocritical life. He wants us to come clean. As Pastor Moline said at the end of our last segment, uh, be a sinner because Christ came for sinners like you and me. And forgiveness, life, salvation, mercy, is all God's gift in the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Normally, the uh, epistle reading is a practical application of everything that we've learned to this point, and it is here too, uh, words from Romans 12, living the sanctified life. But uh, we have in our Old Testament reading, and that's where I want to focus on now, from Genesis 50, 15 to 21, we see a practical application as well, uh, living out Jesus' directives and commands that we just talked about in Luke chapter 6. Vicar, do you want to share those words, please? When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, 
to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We have a great Sunday school story here. Uh, Almost every child has been taught the lesson. We have this as one of our lessons in our preschool chapels as well. Uh, Joseph forgives his brothers. Joseph forgives his brothers. And that's a wonderful thing. But there's a lot more going on in this text than just a uh, Aesop's fable, it's better to forgive than to hold a grudge kind of a thing. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, Pastor, set the stage for us a little bit here. Uh, Who's dead and why does it matter that he's dead? It is Jacob that's dead, and it matters because Jacob was kind of the glue that held this mismatched family together. Mismatched because there was too many wives for Jacob, and then lots of kids as a result of that. And there was uh, fighting and strife and envy between all of them because of it. Uh, Joseph had been uh, thrown into a well, sent to Egypt as a slave, and uh, then he becomes powerful and powerful. the brothers, it's kind of like the movie uh, The Godfather Part Two. Uh, the brothers are afraid that Joseph's going to have him killed as soon as dad is dead, just like uh, Michael has his brother killed when his mom dies. Um, so that's their fear. That's their concern. Uh, what it shows is that they don't actually, their faith isn't very strong in the regard of trusting God's promises that God is going to care for them and provide for them and that forgiveness of sins that comes about through what God is going to do through their family uh, is real. And so there's lots of things going on here. I think maybe that's a good place to start here. Yeah, I think that is that is a good place to start. Um, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, Joseph, earlier in the book of Genesis, has forgiven his brothers. He has welcomed his brothers back. They have reconciled. And yet the brothers, for some reason, now that dad is dead, they're thinking that this forgiveness maybe was fake or phony. They certainly do not put the best construction on everything. And maybe these brothers were reflecting themselves about how when they would forgive other people, they weren't really serious about it, and they were still holding grudges and all this kind of stuff. They certainly are not putting the best construction or explaining everything in the best possible way. So what they do is they make up a lie. They make up a lie. And this happens a lot, folks. After people are dead, you can pretty well say anything you want because there's no way to to verify it. What is the lie that they come up with, Vicar, here? And why did they come up with this particular lie to suit their own fancy? They came up with the lie that uh, before he died, Jacob, or uh, the man who was later named Israel, um, told this message to be uh, spoken. Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Dad's on his deathbed. He's uh, now passed away. 
Joseph might still be angry at us that we threw him in a pit. We sold him into slavery. We even convinced our father that he was dead by bringing him this bloody robe. And uh, what is he going to do to us? We don't know. So let's convince Joseph that before daddy died, he said, forgive your brothers. So the supposed oath of a dead man is more powerful than the love of God and the forgiveness that flows from him. Is that what his brothers are all about, Pastor? Yeah, they're thinking short-term about their own skins and their own lives, not remembering the promises that God has first given to Adam and Eve, uh, renewed with Noah, given to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. Not even remembering what Jacob said on his deathbed for real, that Judah was going to be the one to carry the promise, that uh, he would be the the one to whom the scepter would be given. Uh, all this foreshadowing Jesus, they all throw that out the window, and all of a sudden they want to make sure their powerful brother doesn't wipe him off the face of the earth. And even Joseph, in his response, doesn't understand perfectly what he's saying um and i don't know if we want to jump there or not but um you meant evil against me but god meant it for good what good that through what you've done uh he'll bring about that many people shall be kept alive and joseph probably means this immediately for god put me here so that our family would be kept alive through this famine but what god really did is kept Joseph alive to keep Judah alive so that the line of David would be kept alive, so that Jesus would be allowed to be born, uh, Jesus being the one who was the child of the promise uh, given to Adam and Eve and traced. Uh, I liked it the other day, and uh, a word fitly spoken, uh, Dr. Andrew Steinman called it the golden thread of the Old Testament uh, that culminates in the personal work of Jesus. And so, why are they asking Joseph these questions? Because they don't have faith in that promise. They don't understand it. Why is uh, Joseph responding the way he is? Because he doesn't understand the promise yet either. And yet, who's the one really at work throughout all these events? It's not Joseph. It's not the brothers. It's not Jacob. It's not Abraham. God's the one at work to bring Jesus about. And too often, parts of the Bible, especially parts like this, are looked at as, uh, you know, we're going to teach a moral truth. It's better to forgive than to hold a grudge. And, and that is a truth. It is better to forgive than to hold a grudge. But when we look at God's word and fail to see the connection between Christ, forgiveness, life, and salvation, justification full and free through the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. When when God keeps the family alive, this isn't just so they can have a wonderful family reunion. This is so that Jesus is born from this line for you as the sacrifice for the life of the world. And that that is too often forgotten, whether we're uh, teaching this as a wonderful little Sunday school or preschool story or from the pulpits today as well. Uh, we all have people in our families. We have people in our neighborhoods. We have people at work. We have people in our churches that hold grudges and won't forgive. This is a powerful, powerful message that needs to be proclaimed because our world doesn't want to forgive. It wants to hold a grudge. It wants to hate. We can relate to this because it's in our own heart. 
We see it in our own families. We see it in our own worlds. And so we want to rely on the law to force people to do what we know they should do. And yet the power is not in the law. The power is in the gift of Jesus. And when we fail to forgive those who have sinned against us, we're making a bad confession about who Jesus was. If, if you sin against me and I don't forgive you, what I'm basically confessing is that I don't think Jesus' blood was enough to cover your sin. And therefore, I'm changing who God is and how God works and showing a lack of faith in what the scriptures actually teach. And therein lies the real problem behind this. And this is where it, I guess, connects to our gospel lesson as well. Um, Jesus teaches us that we need to remove the log from our own eye uh, to realize that we're sinners, to realize that we need the forgiveness he's earned just as much, if not more, than anyone else. And that's the reality across every single person that lives in this world. That is, uh, that is well said. And it is a great teaching tool for all of us. The forgiveness that freely flows from the cross and empty tomb on account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is ours, full and free. God calls us to love, to be merciful, not to condemn, but to forgive in the same way that God has forgiven us. If we have different standards, if we have different rules, if we have a different set of criteria than the Lord does, then we have set ourselves up as judge and jury. We are the hypocrites, and we are the ones who are trying to justify our own forgiveness or lack of forgiveness apart from Jesus. And God preserve us from that for the sake of Jesus. These are words of warning, and they are words of great comfort as well. Do not fear. Joseph tells his brothers. In the beginning of our introit, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We've come full circle. Vicar, do you want to pray the collect of the day for the fourth Sunday after Trinity? Let us pray. O Lord, grant that the course of this world may be so peacefully ordered by your governance that your church may joyfully serve you in all godly quietness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, this is Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, Sunday morning, get up. Read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and most importantly, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.